Good day, everybody. Welcome to the Love Thy Neighbor Podcast Network. I'm your host, Anthony Wilson, and I'm back again with another video. I wanted to uh, put together this video uh, in light of um, the Matt Chandler situation. And for some of you that don't know who Matt Chandler is, I'll get into that in this video. Before we jump in, make sure you like, uh, you subscribe. Um, you share this video with people who may need some information about proper church discipline. Um, one of the things that uh, I want to dive into deeply into this video is, you know, why uh, there needs to be discipline, what the procedure is for discipline, um, and then how do we carry it out? You know, how do we, how do we, how how do we do it in a world where uh, nobody likes to be told what to do or uh, likes to be uh, likes to feel um, shunned or rejected. Sometimes correction seems like rejection to a lot of people. And so we're going to dive into that. Make sure you join the channel if you haven't. Um, it helps us out a lot. Uh, join the channel. You can hit the little heart for the thank you and you can drop a little love gift. Um, this is going to be a live premiere. And so if you're watching this live uh, right now as it's going, you can click on the live chat and conversate. You can ask questions, you can make comments, um, and I will be replying back to you in the chat. Uh, so uh, let's get ready to jump into this. Uh, and we're going to figure out um, what is the right way to perform church discipline. Okay, here we go. Let's get into this thing. Um, uh, over the last couple of weeks, a megachurch pastor, Matt Chandler, a guy who I've used this material, his discipleship material. Um, he was linked up with Francis Chan back in the day. Uh, David Platt, another pastor that went through a, a really crazy situation in his church. You can check that out. David Platt, I think he went through a church split. Um, Matt Chandler over the last couple of years has received a lot of bad publicity uh, because of his stance on things like uh, critical race theory and, you know, being a woke pastor, so to speak. And, and so a, a lot of people have had issue with him, but this particular new situation, uh, Matt Chandler, and you can go check it out. It's all over everywhere. Um, there was a USA Today article on this particular situation with Matt Chandler uh, megachurch pastor of uh, the village church which is under i believe the southern baptist convention um was asked to take a leave of absence for an inappropriate relationship over social media with an unidentified woman nobody ever said who the woman is and some people feel that it's very harsh some people feel that maybe they're not telling the whole story uh some people feel that um that it's appropriate and they're glad that a pastor is receiving discipline because of uh, some of the uh, falls in the last few years. Um, and it's important that uh, pastors be held accountable and are accountable to someone um, that they are not rogue, that are not 
uh, CEOs of their own churches and they make all the decisions. Uh, everything is uh, vetoed or approved by them alone that there are governing bodies that um, hold them accountable and that they are subject to. Uh, and, and, and that's important. And, and one of the reasons why is because uh, the Bible is clear that uh, if a person, if anyone says that they have no sin, then they are a liar. The Bible says uh, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? And if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so what um, is the role of the body of Christ and the leadership's uh, role in uh, church discipline? Because ultimately the authority resides in Christ who authorizes the church to use this authority when needed in Matthew chapter um, 18 in verse 17, it says, if anyone refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses, uh, even the church, let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. Now, this is interesting because, um, at the end of the day, um, you're, you're, you're putting, you know, this person basically out of the church, <laughs> In today's world, um, that's a no-no. People would be upset and angry, even though scripture is the objective and ultimate authority. And the Bible for a Christian is how we make our decisions and choices. No human being actually is making these decisions. Uh, the, the Bible tells us what we should do and what we shouldn't do how we should deal with people and how we shouldn't deal with them as it relates to church discipline. When you look at the apostle Paul's writing, he gives us a lot of, uh, a lot of understanding of what it looks like uh, when church discipline is needed or when a person needs to uh, uh, be shunned or avoided. And, and it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty opening, especially in today's culture. Um, and I'm going to just go through some scriptures and we're going to talk about, you know, things that people are to be called out or corrected for. Um, and I'm just going to give you a few. There's tons of them, but I'm just going to give you a few uh, before we get into dealing with leadership specifically, because Matt Chandler was a pastor and this relationship uh, that he had that they deemed inappropriate. Uh, they give a few reasons for why they believe uh, it was inappropriate. And so let's first dive into some scripture. Let's take a look at why someone would need to be disciplined, corrected, um, or even um, placed on a leave of absence, asked to to leave the congregation, which again, sounds crazy with the, the, the free willing, you know, uh, uh, people that we have today who just leave churches for no reason because they don't understand the ecclesia. They don't understand that uh, a church is a covenant group of believers, uh, people who are called together for God's purpose, that they are, they are not just uh, attending church, but they are a covenant community, people who have uh, connected together with Jesus Christ as the foundation, and they are banded together to do the work of the Lord, to live as a community, uh, uh, to to give and take care of each other, to follow rules and leadership. Yeah, the church is a lost art because uh, 
you know, um, a lot of people just don't like any type of uh, uh, discipline, any type of um, accountability. As a matter of fact, most people would say, well, the, the word accountability is not in the Bible. Well, it, it may not be, but there are measures that are taken for when people uh, get out of line. And so when we have troublemakers in the church, people who sow discord in the church, according to Romans chapter 16 and verse 17, Paul says, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. So pay attention to people who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine that you uh, that you've learned. He says to avoid them. Now, in our world today, people give them a break say, well, you know, they said some good stuff over here or they said some good stuff over there. But, you know, when a person's uh, body of work is doctrine um, that brings division and is constantly offensive in the sense that it's offensive uh, when it relates to the doctrine being contrary to the doctrine, that type of offense. Now, this was an interesting verse because I never saw that as an offense you know, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, and we'll get into that verse deeply. It says, you know, if you have uh, an ought with your brother, go to him um, and speak with him in private. And an ought is because of an offense. And so an offense can be a doctrinal issue. Now, for some of you, that just blew some things wide open. You're like, whoa, an offense can be a doctrinal. Yeah, someone can cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn. And so division, because they're teaching a different doctrine, and offenses because of that doctrine. He says, avoid those individuals. Wow. A lot of us would feel uh, ostracized and we would you know, feel church hurt. We would feel like the church is being unloving and unforgiving, and they're not giving people a chance. Why are they doing that? Well, I mean, at some point, there has to be something done when a person is called uh, causing division and offenses and they're teaching or, uh, or or doing things that are contrary to the doctrine uh, that was learned. He says, avoid them. That's their consequence is avoid them. Well, shouldn't we forgive them? Yes, you can forgive them and then avoid them. <laughs> you can forgive them and then avoid them. Your, your heart is open that if they repent and they say, you know, yeah, I was teaching some false stuff. I was actually creating more problems uh, than, than bringing the, the body together. Of course, you receive them openly, right? And so that's the first one, troublemakers, people who sow discord, uh, the unruly and disorderly. First uh, Thessalonians chapter five and verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. Warn those who are unruly. So people who are unruly, and you say, well, what does unruly look like? Well, it goes back to division in the church, um, doctrine that is contrary uh, to the to what the Bible teaches. They're teaching some other doctrine. They're causing uh, discord. They're causing uh, uh, splits, separations in the church, factions in the church. Uh, and he said, but he said, you know, after you warn the unruly, you comfort the faint-hearted. You comfort those who are ready to quit. 
you uphold the weak, those that are, are, are new and they don't know as much, but be patient with all. And that includes the unruly. But you warn them. A lot of times, you know, people don't want to confront people who are being unruly. They don't want to deal with that person. They just talk about them behind their back, which is also sinful. <laughs> Instead of confronting them, because we live in a culture that if you call anybody out for anything wrong, they're going to try to say, well, you're not perfect. That is not the requirement for identifying something that's wrong. You know, if if I run a stop sign and you say, hey, you ran a stop sign and you look at me and say, well, it's not like you've never done anything wrong. That doesn't change the fact that you just ran a stop sign. That doesn't change that at all. <laughs> you know, and you're saying I can't say anything to you. So if we run this stop sign and we get hit by a car, <laughs> another car and we get injured, I'm I'm supposed to keep my mouth shut. Because I've messed up in my life that needs to go away. We need to get rid of that idea that just because I'm imperfect, that means that I have no right to say anything. That is not a biblical concept. That is not in the word of God. Nowhere does it say that if a person has any sin in their life, they're disqualified from calling out uh, what is wrong in another person's life. It just says you better be careful. <laughs> that when you point out something in someone else's life, you are going to be measured uh, by that same thing. And so uh, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change what the Bible says about something. And this idea of shutting people up by saying you're not perfect, uh, it's got to go away because that's allowing people to get away with being unruly, being divisive, being offensive in the churches. And, 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 and nobody's going to say anything because it has to be somebody who's perfect. You know, and there is none. There's not one perfect person in the church. Um, and so uh, number one is troublemakers and those who sow discord. Number two is the unruly and disorderly. Number three, those who disobey the doctrines of faith, who just flat out disobey. Second uh, Thessalonians 3, 13 through 14, it says, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our words in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. In other words, again, here it is separate from people who are openly disobedient to what the word of God says. When a person is openly disobedient, you're supposed to separate from them. Now, this is hard because you're like, well, but but what about my unsaved friends? They're, they're unsaved. That's different. We're talking about a person who claims to be a follower of Christ, but yet will not obey the scriptures that saved them, will not obey the word of God that brought them into salvation. Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so if you're not going to obey the word, that you read, that you heard, that you uh, believe in, that brings about salvation, then you there needs to be action taken. There needs to be punishment taken. There needs to be something done. And, and I'm building to something because uh, there's a scripture that I really didn't understand until I started focusing on this topic of church, church discipline. It really didn't occur to me what that scripture meant. 
um, until I started breaking this down. And so those who disobey the great doctrines of faith, uh, you know, just out, out and out rebellious uh, to uh, the doctrines, those who deny the faith and, and treat it, you know, as a means to manipulate other people. And this would include false teachers in first Timothy chapter six, verse three through five, it says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which Come envy, strife, revelings, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of, of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, who suppose godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. So these are people who are constantly arguing over the Bible, arguing over the truth, arguing over what's true. But at the end of the day, they use godliness as a means to gain something that through my godliness, I gain Christ or I gain wealth or I gain things. And so the only reason I want to be right is so that I can gain something. It's, it's, it's for gain. It's not for the good or the glory of God. It's so that I can look a certain way or be respected or so that I can manipulate the text you know, to bring about money or fame or fortune for myself. He said, from such withdraw yourself, get away from those people. Now, if you're noticing most of the disciplinary action towards people who are unruly is to separate from them, is to separate from them, to withdraw yourself from them, to step away from them. To not welcome them anymore. Treat them as if they, they do not belong. Whew, man, I don't know about you, but depending on what your church uh, history is and what your background is, these scriptures are rough. But the, as they said when I was growing up, it's tight, but it's right. It's tight, but it's right. That most of the time, Paul's admonition is withdraw. Get away from people like this. Do not hang around them. Do not uh, let them feel like they're in good standing or right standing with the Lord. Separate from them. Remove yourself from them or remove them from you. That's the, the number one discipline. We have a thing that I, I see in a lot of churches of sitting people down. Oh, you got to sit them down for a while. I, I'm not sure where they get that concept from because the the Bible is clear so far. And if someone can find that scripture and put it in the comments, please do a, a verse that actually says, sit them down, sit this person down, sit that person down. You know, um, it says, remove yourself from them, avoid them. It, it says, do not keep company with them. <laughs> it says, warn them. Um, but it does not say sit them down. I don't, that's been in our church culture for a while. And I, I don't necessarily know where it came from, but it's something that um, I hear a lot of. Um, and so when a person, you know, has uh, 
create, uh, you know, has um, committed a, a moral sin, adultery, or any of these things, you sit them down. If a person's life is not in order, quote unquote, you sit them down. Um, but the Bible here is giving us clear direction. And make sure you mark these scriptures. Um, given a, and actually this, this whole uh, document that I'm reading off of that I created, I will put this in the description so you can go over these verses yourself. Um, so this will be in the description so you can go over these verses yourself so you can kind of look at what I'm looking at. And so the next one is those who are divisive in the church um, or uh, create uh, or, or teach heresy is really what uh, this one is about in Titus chapter three and verse 10. It says, if people are causing division among you, give a first and a second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. Have nothing more to do with them. There it is again. That is the response that you remove yourself from. them. If a person is causing division, if a divisive person is in the church and they're teaching or saying or doing things that you've warned them once, you warn them a second time, you don't warn them a third time, you remove yourself from them. And this is hard because sometimes these individuals are close to you, you've known them for a long time, and it just feels wrong to just separate yourself from them. Say, you know what? I'm not calling that person no more. I'm not going over their house. I'm not hanging out with them, especially in today's culture, man, they're going to crucify the church that does this. They're going to crucify the Christians that do that. They say, you know what? I'm done with that person because of what they're doing. They're going to say, well, who gives you the right? I don't give myself the right. I don't have the right. This is I'm being obedient to what scripture says. If, a, if people are causing division among you, give a first and a second warning. After that, have nothing to do with them. This is Titus chapter three and verse 10. And it may speak differently in the different translations, but I want you to, 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 to understand this, that scripture says, remove yourself with them from them. And then this one, you get both the warning and then the removing. And so we've seen warning, We've seen remove. Now we see warning a first time, a second time, and then remove yourself from them. That they're no longer allowed to come around and you don't come around them. We're going to keep it going. Those who engage in sexual immorality and refuse to, to repent. Now, this is, this, is, this is a difficult one. Those that engage in sexual immorality and refuse to repent. In 1 Corinthians, uh, Chapter five, first Corinthians chapter five. Let me move this over so I can see it fully. Uh, first Corinthians chapter five. It is um, the scene where Paul actually uh, finds out that someone in the church <laughs> is sleeping with their father's wife. Isn't this crazy? Here's what it says. Uh, First Corinthians chapter five, beginning at verse one, it says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such Im sexual immorality as is not even among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up and you have not rather mourned that he who has done this might be taken away from among you. 
In other words, mourn here means to lament, to repent, to to grieve what's going on so much so that this person is removed, that he need, this person needs to be removed. For I indeed, verse three, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present. Him who has done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you gather together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, I don't know about y'all, but Paul is pretty serious here. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? He is not, you know, he doesn't have time to play with people that are, uh, you know, operating in sexual immorality. He says this kind, you don't even see it among the Gentiles. He says, he says, put that person out, turn them over to Satan. And that's not the first time he's used that language to turn people over to Satan. We'll actually see another verse where he uses the same language. But this person is doing this. They're unrepentant. They're not stopping. They're openly living in sexual immorality. He says, when you come together as a group, as a body of Christ, turn this person over to Satan. Do not allow them to continue in the congregation for a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Oh, man. Churches that do this are considered legalistic, religious, uh, or oh, they're harsh and they're cruel and they're critical and there's no love there. But you're so you're supposed to just disobey scripture in order to be loving. I don't think that's loving. Because love is doing what God prefers. Love is doing what God prefers by his power and with him. And so God is with you when you do this because you're actually correcting this person out of love. That is love. Love will correct this person. Love will turn this person over to Satan so that they can be saved. But, but love is not just pacifying them and letting them continue to do what they're doing. This is tight. It's tight, but it's right. Here's one more, and then we're going to move on because there's a lot. I could go through a lot of scripture. Um, in uh, let's see, those who engage in sex immorality and refuse to repent, but also those who blaspheme the things of God. Those who blaspheme the things of God. Um, and this is a this is a an interesting one because this is in First Timothy. Uh, chapter one and verse 20. Um, Paul deals with a few people that um, have done him wrong. <laughs> you know, there's a lot, uh, they, they've done him wrong, but they blasphemed God. And I'm going to start at the verse before so we can get a little more of the context. Um, start at verse 18. He says, this, I, this charge I commit to you, son Timony, Timothy, according to the prophecy previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered 
shipwreck, of whom are Hymenius and Alexandra, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. They may learn not to blaspheme. And a lot of people, you know, the word blasphemy is a word that um, we really don't see a lot. But when you, you know, those that have uh, access to Bible Hub or um, Blue Letter Bible, when you pull this up, this Greek word blasphemy, um, it literally means to slander, to speak evil of. Um, it's abusive language. Blasphemy comes from two words and the Strong's number for those that uh, take notes, 988, blasphema, uh, blacks, which is sluggish or slow, 5345, or femi of reputation, fame, blasphemy, literally slow sluggish to call something good that is really good. A slow to identify what is truly bad that is really evil. Another way to think about blasphemy is it's blasphemous to switch something that is right and call it wrong. Something that is good and call it bad. You know, uh, and, and we see that when Jesus talks about them slandering the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, that Jesus through the Holy Spirit is performing miracles. And they're saying that Jesus is doing miracles through Beelzebub. This would be blasphemy because you're switching what is a good thing and you're saying it's a bad thing. Oh, that's simple, isn't it? Isn't that real simple? That's why we got to break this thing down and we got to look at the words and see what they really mean. And so it, it, it's, it's, it's to say something that is to injure or to bring reproach on something that is good, right? Like when someone uses the Lord's, uh, uses uh, the Lord's name in a cuss word, they're actually reproaching the Lord's name. They're treating something good as though it's something uh, uh, bad or uh, it, it's slanderous or it, it, you know, you're just kind of using it uh, in a way that switches the meaning of it. So this is not a good thing anymore. <laughs> this is a bad thing. Are you with me? And so he said to teach them not to blaspheme. He turned them over to Satan. And this is Paul's form of discipline is to separate, to remove, to put them out. Um, again, drop it in the comments. If you find a verse that where Paul tells a person to be sat down for a season, you know, to take a sabbatical, you know, um, that's kind of some new, new stuff for our age, but it's not in the Bible. And I, and I understand why people do it because this sounds harsh to us, right? It sounds harsh to us, but this is why. Um, the church seems to, you know, for the outsider to look like a, a bunch of hypocrites because they just get away with anything. There's no discipline. There's nothing um, done if somebody uh, does something wrong. And, and this is <laughs> this is why uh, people struggle with the church. And so what have we seen so far? So um, as a procedure in church discipline. One of the things that you automatically want to do 
is arrange a private meeting with the offender. If you have an ought with someone, Matthew chapter uh, 18, verse 15 says, go to them. Have an ought with somebody, you go to them. You don't just, you know, talk about them, (laughs) right? You don't just, um, you know, gossip. You know, that's what a lot of people do is they just gossip. It is, oh, well, so-and-so is this and -and so-and-so is that. And no, he says, go to them. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So the private meaning, if he hears you, then you've gained your brother. Now this, this deal, this is with doctrine, right? This is with personal offense. Somebody's done you wrong. This is, this is, this is the, the first step is to go to them and let them know that they've done me wrong. In Luke chapter 17, uh, Jesus gives the same admonishment. In Luke chapter 17, um, Jesus kind of calls out the same thing and he, he gives the same process. Luke chapter 17 and verse three, he says, take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in that day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. The key here, the hurdle is telling this person their fault, telling them they did you, did you wrong. Right. And so you arrange the private meeting, but then if that private meeting fails, Meet meet with them several times. Meet with them and then bring several witnesses. You you've tried, you've called, you've texted, you went to lunch with them, and it doesn't work. Get witnesses. Verse sixteen. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established, so that there's no confusion of what people are saying you know a lot of times well well i need to go get my pastor yeah i mean i understand doing that because they're the pastor but there should be mature people who understand you know what this looks like that can be a witness that you are trying to reconcile that you're trying to get this together that you're trying to do the right thing should these be mature christians yes of course you should be grabbing mature Christians to come together with you um, and be witnesses. If this person refuses, Matthew uh, chapter 18, verse 17 says it all. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Now, this is another step that a lot of people don't do. They don't want to do. They don't want to get into that, okay, we're going to call you out before the church because you know what? People have had some bad experiences with being called out before the church just on a whim. A pastor putting you in their message or something weird like that instead of it actually being a part of the process. And so most people don't want to be put on blast. That's what we call it today. Don't put me on blast. But this is why the secret sin 
you know, people who cover their sin don't prosper. And so open rebuke is better than secret love. You know, we're finding ourselves covering up for people. Oh, you know, let's make an excuse for them. But at the end of the day, they keep doing this. It's not like they did it and then they repent it and they're not doing anymore. They're pressing into discipleship. They're growing and they're learning. They're showing the fruit of repentance. They're, they're doing the right things. No, this person, like the person in, in uh, Corinthians, is is sleeping with their father's wife like it's cool they're do, whatever they're doing they're doing it like it's okay and their heart is hardened and they've been warned once they've been warned twice they they they've been talked to now it's time to say hey it's time for you to go and live the way you want to live because as a church this is not the way that we're going to live we're not going to live with discord we're not going to live um, with open sinful behavior that is unrepentant it's not like you're struggling with it and you're trying to get help you're saying i'm going to live like this and nobody's going to tell me what to do stuff right and even after all that we are to be ready to receive them if they repent the bible says forgive them <laughs> They turn and to repent means we know what it means. Metaneo, it means not only to change your mind, but it's to change your mind in relation to wanting God's pardon, to want and desire to turn and accept God's will, to do what he desires, to do what he wants, not just to say, I'm sorry and to feel bad, but this sorry and this feeling bad turns into a determination to do what's right right one of my favorite scriptures um in second corinthians uh chapter seven. Second corinthians chapter seven uh verses nine through eleven here's what it says now i rejoice not that you were made sorry but that your sorrow led to repentance for you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted but the sorrow of this world produces death for uh for observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner with diligence what diligence it produced in you what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this manner. This, the, 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 this, is, this is what repentance looks like, that you, 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 you're, you're willing to do whatever it takes to be clear to be cleared of all charges, to say, look, I, I know God has forgiven me, but I want to put myself in a position where uh, everybody sees that I wanted this bad, that, that I was upset with myself, that I, I, want, I want to do what's right. And so there's a diligence, there's a clearing of yourself. You want to show yourself approved. You want to say, look, look at my track record. Look at how I'm living. Look, I'm not that person anymore. Oh man, that gets me fired up because that's real repentance. 
That's real repentance. When you want to show people, I'm not that person anymore. I'm not living like that anymore. I'm not doing those things anymore. Look here, watch me. I'll I'll go through whatever, whatever uh, testing you want, but you can take a look at my life and you'll see that I'm changed. Oh God, I thank you. That, that, that gives me so pumped up to see people who really want that really, really want that. Now, when it comes down to church leaders, and like I said, uh, the Matt Chandler situation kind of sparked, you know, me wanting to talk about this, wanting to talk about um, how do you discipline a church leader? Because they seem to be different (laughs) than than the rest of the congregation, right? They're they're, they're not the same, (laughs) as some would say. Uh, as the rest of the congregation, well, first you got to know the qualifications of a church leader. And in first Timothy chapter three, um, just one of the places that gives the qualifications, it says, uh, this is a faithful saying that if any man desires the position of a bishop, which means an overseer, an elder, a shepherd, he desires a good word. A bishop must be blameless. Blameless means mature. It doesn't mean uh, nothing wrong with them, right? It doesn't mean that they are uh, what you would call um, perfect individuals, right? That's how most people would look at blameless is that, oh, they, they must be perfect. They must be perfect. But blameless, um, there's two words for blameless. And uh, the one that fits this, I think it's 299 in your Strongs, um, is the one that you will find here, I believe. Let me look that up real quick. This idea of blameless, it's not 299, it must be 273. 273. It's where blameless. Uh, it means um, to be free from fault or defect properly without fault, not blameworthy by omission or commission. Hence, approved uh, reproach from moral pure, uh, morally pure. In other, that there's no glaring failures. You're not living uh, like that young man that was had his father's wife. <laughs> You're not living like that, right? You're not just living any old kind of way. But when a person looks at your life, they see that you are following the teachings that are laid out. And you're not just overtly, you know, living any old kind of way. In the King James, it uses the term above reproach. And so here's the word 423. All right, I found it. I was looking for it. It's like, where's this word at? 423. Um, it literally means that without reproach, irreproachable, never caught doing wrong. Doesn't mean you don't do wrong, <laughs> but you're never openly caught doing wrong. It's without blame in the light of the whole picture. Here, the person, um, accuser tries to see someone by their character but there's no grounds that when a person, you know, tests you, they don't find any grounds to disqualify you. 
Now, this is important because this is the language that they use um, dealing with Matt Chandler about being above reproach that this individual found something on them, right? They found something and they felt like this caused reproach for him. And so and part of the qualifications is to be above reproach, right? Husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior. It's another one. Hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. Uh, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the household of God? Not a novice. That means he's he's well versed in the word. He's studied. He, he's you know he's gone through uh, something. He knows that word. Less being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must be a, of, have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach or snare of the devil. So there it is again. He starts with this blameless, which is above reproach, and ends with this blameless, you know, with this idea of being above reproach inside and outside the church. That when people test this person, they come out to say, you know what? I don't have anything on him. So in this Matt Chandler situation, um, what they have on him is the conversations um, that he had with this woman over direct messaging. Um, and he ends up stepping down because according to them, this makes him in reproach. This, this means that he, there's something that blemishes his record, right? It, it makes him not look, um, above reproach. Um, there's a couple of articles. I'm just going to read from one of them. The elders, uh, there was a statement that continues. Then the, they commissioned an independent law firm to conduct a review of Chandler's messaging history across social media platforms, his cell phone and his email. Uh, the investigation, the investigators report led to the elders concluding that Chandler had violated the church's internal social media use policy. And more importantly, that while the overarching pattern of his life has been above reproach, he failed to meet the Bible standard for elders of being above reproach in this instance. That's what the statement read. So in this instance, because of these messages, they're saying he no longer meets the standard of being above reproach. Okay. And here's the issue is what is the next step? Is it to put him on sabbatical? Is it to reject him? You know, dis disfellowship him, disassociate with him. No, the Bible is clear about what's supposed to happen with an elder, with someone who operates in the role of elder. And we're going to stay in first Timothy and we're going to go to chapter five and we're going to see what it says. First Timothy chapter five, verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Okay. So they did an independent study. A woman uh, supposedly uh, approached uh, pastor Chandler and said, 
hey, I have a problem with you messaging my friend. I feel like it's inappropriate. He felt like, wow, this kind of, you know, set him back because his wife knew, the, the woman's husband knew. He felt like there wasn't anything wrong. So he went and said, hey, I'm going to be accountable. Talk to his wife, talk to the elders. And they talked to their lawyers, the law firm, and launched an independent um, investigation of all his social media. And they came to the point where they said what he was doing was inappropriate. So could that meet the standard of except from two or three witnesses? Yeah, let's say it does. Let's say it does. What's the next step? Verse 20. Those who are sinning, rebuke them in the presence of all that the rest may fear. Wait a minute. Put him on sabbatical? No, it says rebuke him. Rebuke, 1651. Eleko, to convince with solid, compelling evidence. So they, they, they have solid, compelling evidence, especially to expose. They exposed it to prove that something was wrong. It says to, to reprehend severely, to chide, to admonish, to reprove. And so by word, you're supposed to reprehend him. You're supposed to stand him up in front of everybody, in front of the church, and say, this action is inappropriate. We've done an investigation. It was inappropriate. You will not engage in this again. That's warning him. If you have to warn him a second time, you're supposed to disfellowship him. But what they've done, if they, they've created a, a loophole, they've created a whole different way to deal with this. And, I, and, and, and believe me, you that are listening, you know, you're in the comments or what have you, understand this. I get, I get it. I get why they're doing it because our culture says you can't just do that. You can't just take a man who has been preaching for the better part of his life, who's had a spotless record outside of this one thing and then expel them from the church. So what we'll do is we're going to set some standards. He's going to meet those standards and then we're going to restore him back. Man. I had a discussion with one of my brothers and they said, man, this is, this is troubling. This is troubling because I feel like what he did wasn't even that heavy. W why does he need to take an, uh, an indeterminate amount of time away, not preaching the gospel, not on social media, not anywhere. He's got to sit down when what he did, his wife was aware. The woman's husband was aware. He openly went with repentance to try to clear himself. He showed repentance that, Hey, if this is wrong, I, I won't do it anymore. I'll correct it. Let's, what do we do? But yet you still treat him like he's unrepentant. And here's the thing. You don't give him a warning, not one warning, not two warnings. You didn't go to him and private and say, Hey, Matt, here's our findings. You cannot do this. If this comes up again, this is what's going to happen and go according to the Bible, right? Go according to the Bible, not this other, whatever this is that they're doing, right? Whatever this is that they're doing, 
He said, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest may fear. He says, I charge you before God and Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels is verse 21 in, in uh, Timothy chapter five, that you observe these things without prejudice, do nothing with partiality and do not lay hands on anyone hastily nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure uh, in context. I remember I've read this verse out of context for years because it, they used to say it about, you know, promoting somebody in ministry. Don't lay hands on someone suddenly. No, this is talking about this elder that, Hey, make sure that, make sure that the elders are well vetted. Don't just promote them because what if they are promoted and they're not ready and they find themselves sinning. And then now you're a part of it because you promoted them. It's, you know, keeping it in context, right? And so without partiality, so nobody, so there shouldn't be any special treatment. There shouldn't be any special punishment. Oh, well, you're a bigger name. So we got to punish you more. That's still partiality. People ask, when should, well, when should a leader be sat down? If they are rebuked before the congregation, warned by the by, by the eldership once and then twice, they're to be rejected and removed, not sat down. Can a lead, can a fallen leader come back? These are some of the questions that are asked. Yes, after he's shown the fruit of repentance, he can be restored. We already talked about that in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter seven. That this person shows that yes, I'm different. I'm not that person. I'm willing to go through whatever, you know, uh, vetting process is possible. I'll show that I'm the. Then there to be accepted and restored. How long must a, a leader wait to begin restoration? Well, they're supposed to be looked at again. If they're going to be an elder again then they have to meet the qualifications of an elder again, right? And then you have to have two or three witnesses that say, you know what? This guy meets the qualification. He is who he says he is. It's it's important that we do this biblically. I set out a poll and some of you, you know, uh, voted on the poll. Was this handled correctly? Well, it wasn't handled biblically. What you saw in the video should have been the open rebuke. And now he should have been given an opportunity to show that now he's not doing that anymore. That that situation is over. To immediately create this, this alternate strand of, uh, of discipline where, okay, we're going to give put you on sabbatical. That's not in scripture. And you say, well, but this is something that a lot of churches done. It's good practice, you know, and things like that. It's best practice. You say what you want. If if we're going to do it biblically, well, then why not? Why not do it the way the Bible says to do it? There's a lot of information I threw at you. Hopefully it helps you and caused you to think about some things, caused you to think about yourself, caused you to think about the people around you. What should we be doing? You know, what is the process of biblical church discipline? And was that situation handled correctly with Matt Chandler? Put your comments, your, your questions in the, in the chat or uh, in the comment section. Um, 
please support this channel. Uh, hopefully this a lot of information I threw at you is helpful. Remember to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. God bless you.